Let's look at Ephesians 5 together and we'll glance down at verse 15. Verse 15. What we've been trying to do and what we'll do here for a little while longer, we mentioned this last week how that 2 Timothy 3 talks about how the Word of God equips us it equips us, it furnishes us for every good work. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaks of putting on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We want to begin this evening by looking at some devotional thoughts in regard to music and worship, and then we will expand our discussion uh, after just a few minutes. I think you can look down in your Bible and see that one of the key passages in the Bible about music is Ephesians 5 and 19. Let's look at the whole paragraph here, beginning in verse 15, Ephesians 5. Let's just think about worship for a couple minutes. Notice that true worship is part of wisdom. This is what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 5 and verse 15. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Don't, don't be foolish, but walk in wisdom. And this is how true worship is developed in our lives. We're talking about wisdom from above, not below. You might recall in your studies that James in James 3, 13 18, speaks of wisdom that's below, which is very devilish. But then there's that wisdom from above. That's where God is. And you might also recall in James 1 and 5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So we're in the right place looking at God's word seeking wisdom, and worship comes out of true wisdom. Right here in Ephesians uh, 5, glance down to verses 17 and 18, and notice that that true worship uh, flows from an understanding of God's will. He says, don't be foolish, Ephesians 5, 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Not only can we understand the will of the Lord, we must understand it. We must understand it. Look in your Bibles to Ephesians 3 and glance down at 3 and 4 how Paul says the mystery of the gospel, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And as I have written briefly, and when you read this, you can perceive my insight into this mystery of Christ. You can understand. We can understand it. We must understand it. True worship comes out of understanding the will of God. We're not surprised by this because Jesus tells us in John 4 and 24, when we worship God, we worship in spirit and in truth. In truth. And our Lord reminds us in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, Matthew 15, 7 through 9, 
He says, in vain do some worship me, teaching as their doctrines the commandments of men. You see, you can't worship God properly without understanding his will. Worship comes from understanding the will of God. It comes from understanding. Okay? When we say understanding the will of God, it doesn't mean we look at a verse and say, well, this verse means this to me. No, that's not how we study Okay. This verse means something. The Bible means something for everybody. It doesn't mean something different for everybody. Okay. We look at what the Bible says plainly uh, to us. Look at verse 18 as we think about understanding the will of God. He says here, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And spirit means here the spirit of God. God is our father. God the son is our God. And God the spirit is our God. If you glance over to Ephesians 6 and 17, it says, Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we know at least a big part of being filled with the spirit is to look closely at his word. You see, true worship comes out of understanding the Word of God, the truth, the will of God. And then further, as we keep reading here in Ephesians 5, notice that true worship has a lot to do with the authority of Christ. We're not surprised by that either. But notice it says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus is the Lord. By virtue of the fact that He has purchased us with His own blood, Jesus is the Lord. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 4 verse 4 and 5 says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one Lord, one Spirit. Jesus is the Lord. And worship comes from respecting the authority of Jesus as it's expressed in, in His teachings. And then as you look at verse 19 here, a big part of worship is singing. See, see this in verse 19, addressing one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord uh, with all of your heart. So we praise the Lord. In part, we praise Him through singing, through singing. Okay. But this singing, he says, must come from the heart, from the heart. We're just kind of reviewing and refreshing ourselves here. But when he says heart, he then immediately says in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we worship in song and when we worship generally, we are having our hearts full of gratitude. That's how, we, that's how you come to worship. That's what you do to get ready for worship. You you count all your blessings and then some. Big part of that blessing. Notice how Ephesians 5 begins, verse 1 and 2. He says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, that's, that's where our gratitude begins and that's, that's really where our gratitude stays. Notice Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for 
her for the church. So worship comes from the heart, okay? that, that heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. And then notice that worship involves a mutual encouragement. We are addressing one another. We are, we are addressing one another as we sing these songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay. It's a mutual encouragement. We are singing to one another. We are worshiping to the Lord with one another. Okay. There's no room here for performance in worship at all. Worship is not a performance for, for anyone else. Okay. We are seeking to please God in worship. It's not a performance for anyone. Okay. The idea of God... The mandate of God is that whatever part of worship that we're in, that we're all participating in that worship together. It's a mutual boosting as we worship. Okay. And so, now notice, jump over to Colossians 3, and notice how similar Paul's words are in Colossians 3, 15 to 17, and then we'll move on. Colossians 3, 15 to 17. Notice in verse uh, 16, wisdom again is involved. See that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Wisdom. And notice that understanding the word of Christ is important. It's, we must not only understand it, but it must dwell in us richly. See, that's, that's what worship is based upon. This is this is how worship is, true worship is developed. Wisdom, the wisdom of God's involved. The word of God uh, is involved. Certainly the authority of Christ. Notice verse uh, 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord uh, Jesus. And notice verse uh, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule. That's authoritative right there. Let it rule uh, in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. Okay. Notice again that this singing and worship is to come from the heart. Sing with grace in your hearts in the verse 16 or with thankfulness in your hearts to God, verse uh, 16. Notice again that as we sing and as we worship, it's a mutual uh, admonition, okay. teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, to the Lord. One thing emphasized here in Colossians is the unity that ought to result from worship. Verse 14 of Colossians uh, 3 talks about how that above all these things put on love, which binds everything together, and then he reminds us in verse 15 that we are called into one body, so be thankful uh, for that. And then he talks about giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus uh, several times. And we can go on and on about with devotional thoughts about the musical part of worship, but we want to expand our discussion a little bit this evening and ask this question, and that is, where do people go wrong in the musical part of worship? Where do, 
we go wrong sometimes and where do others go wrong? And what we're trying to do, again, is to, is to allow the Word of God to equip us, to, um, to furnish us with the knowledge we need to uh, be effective in talking to other people. Okay. So where do others go wrong? Okay. I think that um, I'll, I'll just share a few things that I've encountered and then maybe you can share a few things as well. But um, I think one reason that people go wrong in the musical part is that they view the musical part of worship as a personal preference idea, a personal preference, that it's just up to the individual as to where and how they want uh, to worship. So I, I've met someone uh, recently. I've been trying to talk to him, uh, not just one, but several, but this particular fellow uh, had, he's he's um, he's uh, in his 70s. He's all by himself. He, his wife had been gone uh, several years, and uh, he only has one relative close by, and that's a sister down in South Alabama. And he's pretty much just by himself. And um, so uh, he approached me the other day, and he said, "I went to church," and it was like so many do. They, he went to church on Easter Day. I said, well, what did you think about it? I didn't know where he went. He said, well, to tell you the truth, uh, I was really disturbed by it. I said, what was that? He said, well, the music was so deafening loud. He said that I could hardly hear myself think. He said it was so loud that it would rumble my stomach. He said, I didn't enjoy it at all. And... He knew I was chomping at the bit to talk to him. He held up his hand. He said, let me, let me tell you this also. He said, he said, I called a buddy of mine in Memphis and asked him if he'd gone to church. And he said, yeah, he'd had the same experience wherever they went. I don't know where they went. But the music was just remarkably loud. And the buddy in Memphis said that as you walk in that particular church building foyer, there's a big bowl there. And in the bowl are earplugs. And a lot, a lot of people walk in and for worship of all things, they put their earplugs in. They go in, they sit down, they know the music's going to be uh, terribly uh, uncalled for and loud and, they, and, and instead of studying it out and thinking about it further, they just put their earplugs in. And I had never heard of that. Have you ever heard of that? Have you ever heard of a, of a church gathering where there are earplugs um, in the foyer? That's just, that really uh, astounded me, but it gave me an opportunity to talk to him. And I said, well, what do you think about that? What do you, what do you think about that? And um, I said, that doesn't sound right according to what I can read the Bible. He said, well, I don't think it's wrong. He just said, it's just not for me. He said, a lot of people evidently enjoy it. But he said, I, I just, it's just not for me. And so that's the way a lot of folks think, is it's just a personal preference. Okay. Now what would you say if someone thinks that way? What would be your biblical response uh, to that? You're going to worship to hear the word of God. You can't hear it with earplugs. And can't. you can't hear it if you're deaf. 
can't hear it with earplugs, can't hear it with if you're deaf, okay? Yeah, who's the audience? What does the Word of God say? And then who's the audience? Sir? Yeah, it's to edify one another, but focus is to glorify God and to give Him what He wants. That's what Brother Mike Matt is saying. Speaking to yourself, you understood. You means everybody in that congregation. Therefore, your band is too small because every person would have to play an instrument to fulfill this verse. Or their choir is too small because it's saying everybody. And the only way everybody could play an instrument is to sing from the heart, pluck the heart chords of the heart. Okay. Good point. Good point there. From Ephesians 5, my... Uh, Explaining that real well for us. Okay. Someone says personal preference. One good example to use is, is Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. And remember that Hebrews 11:4 comments on the Cain and Abel situation. Okay. Now Abel brought, evidently his personal preference was from the offering or, or the, um, what did Cain bring? They brought from the ground, okay, from the fruit of the ground. Evidently, God had asked for animal sacrifice because Hebrews 11:4 says, "By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain." And we know that faith comes by hearing, Romans 10:17, hearing by the word of God. And so, evidently, God spoke and said, "I wanted, I want an animal offering." And Abel gave it to him, and Cain gave his personal preference and was condemned uh, for it. Okay. Also, um, if you're taking notes, write down Colossians 2.23, because Paul condemns there what he calls W-I-L-L, will worship. Will worship. Worshiping according to your own preference. Worship according to your own will and design. So that's why some folks, that's how some folks think about musical part of worship, okay, personal preference. Others think this way, this is just from how I've, just the encounters I've had, is that, that a lot of folks think it's not that big a deal. It's just not that big a deal. It's just a matter of style and whatever style you particularly enjoy then go in that direction, but really in the end, it's just not that big a deal. I let Nate Evan you change into the strange fire. Okay, yeah. Mike says, ask Nate Evan about you from what book in the Old Testament? Numbers. Okay. Remember Leviticus 10, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, it's a good example, and just about every uh, pamphlet we have, every booklet we have that we study 
together and sit down and study. The example of Nadab and Abihu is always used as a good example. What about Jeroboam? How did Jeroboam go, Jeroboam go wrong in worship? Who remembers? All right. Um, let's see. Yes, First Kings, right? Who can find that for us? First Kings. Find, find the example of Jeroboam and Rehoboam. When the, when the nation divided, you remember that? And Jeroboam went north. Rehoboam kept several thousand around Jerusalem, Judah. Judah stayed with him, but the rest went north and settled. And Jeroboam got scared that when it come time to, to go to Jerusalem and do their, their worship, keep their obligations that he would lose a lot of the people and so he just said he made two what golden what calves and he he said he said these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt okay what chapter is that in first kings who found it nobody's looking what what chapter is that in first kings but he said he set up and so he changed the object of worship, and he changed the, the dates in which they were going to keep feast. He, he made up people to become priests who were not of uh, the Levite uh, tribe. He just began to change all sorts of worship. He put one in Dan and one in Bathsheba. Yes, he did. One in, one in Dan, one in Bathsheba. There you go. If you look at 1 Kings 12, 25 through 33, you'll notice all these changes he made. Verse 31, you see the change of the priest. Verse 32, the change of the feast, the time of the feast. Okay. Verse um, 28, you see he made two calves of gold. He says, Behold, your gods, O Israel, brought you out of Egypt. Isn't it amazing how people just state something and think it's true? still happens today, don't it? You just say it and you think it's true. Okay. Like, I'm no longer a boy, I'm a girl. And so that's true, right? It's just true because I said it. I, I claimed it. And that's what he's doing. It's not anything new. And look at the, look at the verse 33. Okay. It says that he had devised this from his own heart. That's, a, that's key to what he's doing here. This is not something from God. This is something that Jeroboam is devising in his own heart. And when you get over to chapter 14, how does Jeroboam pay for his sin? Yeah, a lot of his household got killed. His little baby got killed died. One thing that um, if you look at 1 Kings 14 Jeroboam asked his wife his, his, it says the son of Jeroboam 14 verse 1 fell sick and Jeroboam gets his wife to dress up like another woman and go see the prophet the prophet's name um, is Ahijah and God tells that Jeroboam's wife is coming and then um, if you look down to verse 
6 and 7, the prophet has to tell the mom there, the wife, I've got some unbearable news for you. So the little boy is going to die. Okay. So if you ask Nadab and Abihu, if you ask Jeroboam, it is significant. It is a big deal. Okay. It's no small matter to take your own ideals and put it into worship. Okay. It's, not a, it's just not a small thing. Okay, let all things be done decently and in order. Decent according to the will of God. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Orderly according to the to the will of God. Because God is not confusion, not the author of confusion. Right. So fourteen forty there says, let all things be done decently in order, and fourteen thirty three says that God's not the author of confusion. Right. Think about it this way. For over 6,000 years, God carefully planned for His church, okay, maybe not 6,000, maybe four or 5,000, but for thousands of years, He planned for His church to come to the earth. Okay. According to Ephesians 3.11, the church is according to the eternal purpose of God. So God, before He made man, began to carefully plan for Christ, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the church. Okay. God carefully planned. He knew what He was doing when He came and He put worship and designed it as He did. Okay. And it behooves us to pay close attention to that and not just come along and think that God doesn't, God doesn't mind us altering His designs. David, instrumental music crept in, but it ended in Psalm 137, 1, 2, and 3, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down as verse 1, verse 2, said we hung our hearts upon the limbs of the willow tree, because Nebuchadnezzar tried to force the Jews to write music and sing music to his idols that got them in trouble to begin with caused by idolatry and changing the worship. Mm -hmm. It was in 757 A.D. when the Pope Pippin brought instrumental music into the Catholic Church and the uh, or what was it? They split off from the uh, the Jewish uh, what was it? The uh, Greek Jews they, they split off from the Catholic Church so they knew music stopped Babylonian captivity. They split away from the uh, Greek Orthodox Church. Split away from the Catholic Church in 757. And Pope Pippin brought it in. Okay. So Mike's making the point that it was actually several hundred years after the first century before um, mechanical instruments of music were ever brought back into any religious uh, organization having to do with, with the true God. Now, and so some people look at it as just a personal preference. Some don't think it's that, that big of a deal. Okay. Now, some folks are just not settled on the New Testament being our covenant today. And that's why some go wrong in the musical part of worship. Okay. We, we've done a lot of 
discussion on this lately. We, we had a, a night that, where we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit was able to guide the apostles into all the truth. And then that's how the New Testament come to be written. That's how the apostles were able to train and empower other people to teach the truth. And that's how the apostles were able to sit down and write the truth out uh, with complete guidance uh, from God. And so we have our New Testament. Some folks were not settled on the New Testament. One thing that John writes in 2 John verses 9 through 11, he says, whoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. But whoever abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. We've we got to stay in bounds. Okay? If, we, if we go out of bounds, then that's, that displeases uh, our God. The New Testament is for our boundaries. For God's letting us know what He expects from us in worship and uh, in life. Well, that's a pretty big deal. Even in, even in other parts of life, you know, staying in bounds is important. I mean, how many ball games uh, during the year are delayed because they're not sure if a guy is inbounds or not? And then you have a lot of replays and then you've got a lot of discussion about it and finally a decision is made. Well, a lot of religious groups, okay, and this is why we got to be equipped, a lot of religious groups are worshiping out of bounds. Our New Testament is our uh, forms our boundaries, and a lot of are worshiping out of bounds. And we must help them in the kindest way possible, help them to see God's truth. Okay. I'm a musician and I play the piano or guitar. Is it okay for me to play sing worship songs on an instrument outside of worship? So... Paul was asking if I'm, I'm a piano player and I've got a religious song I'm going to play. And is it okay for, for you to do that? Can you do that? Yes. I mean, do you have a musical instrument you play? I can't play my nose. I can pick it or both. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have the intent to worship, then you don't need to use instruments for sure. Okay. If you're sitting down and you say, I'm going to worship the Lord, then you do not need to have an instrument. What do you think? No, I agree with you. I mean, I'm not really... I think that would come down to a personal purpose after that. But it's very difficult to take a psalm dedicated to God and not worship. I don't know how you do that. So I would try to stay away from it. But at the same time, we do listen to religious psalms that have an instrument to it. And we, a lot of times we don't, we don't give it a second thought. Like the national anthem would be, might be an example. But, What's, what do you guys think? You guys, much, Brother Harry, what do you think? You're much more experienced than I am on all this. So. What do you... 
But if you're going to, if you're going to intend to worship, then God has, God has spoken about worship. But um, as far as just enjoyment, um, what do you guys think? friend Alan Webster and I, we've had this discussion two or three times, and he, he makes that point that, that if you're singing religious, doing religious words, singing religious words, and you don't intend it, then you, you're turning around and doing something else is wrong. So that's a good point. Well, the five parts of worship is commanded on the Lord's day, but we worship throughout the week all the time. You can, if you're praying, you're worshiping. If if you're words doing a worship service. Yeah. yeah, if you just saying the words, but your heart's not in it. That's, that's why Paul's making the emphasis he did there in Ephesians 5 and, and Colossians 3. Good point. But as far as throughout the week, we ought to be worshiping God throughout the week. You know, if you're. No, no. If you and I and two or three other families were at my house and they said, "Hey, let's sing some gospel songs," okay, we're not going to do the piano. Okay, we have a piano in our living room, but we're not going to play the piano. If we sit down and say, "Hey, let's sing. Let's get the let's get the hymn books out and sing," no, I don't think that would be right at all. Because no. we would intend to praise the Lord for sure, something like that. Exactly saying, but, but say all that to me again in a little while. Okay. okay. Right. So, um, but from my, from just what I have encountered, and maybe you guys have encountered some other things. One other thing that's said real often when it comes down to, to music and worship is that this particular person has the ability, 
some special God-given abilities, and why can't she or he use those abilities to glorify God? In fact, I've been told, how dare you to restrain somebody from using something? God, God has obviously talent, uh, uh, gifted them with this talent, and so uh, uh, then they ought to be able to use that in the bounds of worship, or in worship, whether it's inbound or out of bounds. So what do you say about that? Think about uh, Daniel 3 and Nebuchadnezzar built a big statue, didn't he? Um, Gold. How tall was that thing? Y'all remember? Yeah, 90. 90 by 9, I think is what I remember. 9 feet wide and 90 feet tall. Can you imagine that? All gold. That would be a pretty impressive looking feature. Okay. What a monument and commanded people to bow down to that golden image. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not do that. But that's pretty impressive work. Somebody gave a lot of talent to that idol worship, but of course it was not uh, pleasing to God. There are two or three... We prove that every week, don't we? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're right. It, talent is not what God is thinking about. He's, he's, uh, he's instructing us. He's worthy of our worship, but he's also um, the one who tells us how to worship him. If we worship him. He was, Samuel was. Wait on Samuel. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Saul was there. Yeah. That's a, Brother Paul mentioned 1 Samuel 13 when, when King Saul went ahead and offered sacrifice and uh, did not wait on Samuel. And um, God was very displeased, took the kingdom away from him. Well, the other uh, encounter I've had over the years is for somebody to say, well, um, if something has been pleasing to God in the past, then uh, shouldn't it be pleasing to Him now? And we can get into that another time, but you, can, you know how to answer uh, that without, without much problem. And it's really not about... Um, Arguing so much it is to help people see, help someone see, help, help refresh our minds on exactly what God wants and how we go about uh, seeing what He wants, both in our worship and in salvation and in uh, doing His will and in Christian living. David, to go back to what I was talking about, if something's going to violate your conscience, don't do it. Paul's a fan of faith. Okay. Okay, I understand what I understand what you're saying. I just didn't have a lot of time to explore it. So, but thank you.